such a beautiful introduction to today's message um, given by Aubrey and Jeanry, Psalm 103. I think it's greatly applicable. I want to take you on a journey today. I hope you can follow and stay with me. Um, I am also specifically going to speak into same-sex attraction as well as a healthy view on our lifelong wrestle with sin. So I'm sure I've got your attention. There once was a man um, whom some say um, was the most, oh, that's just the window opening, there's no one's, no one's screaming in the back. Thank you, dear. Um, we have to keep that closed during worship because we have had some neighbors asking what rock shows are happening here on a Sunday. But um, <clears throat> this guy has been, has been named the most important person after Jesus in Christianity. He's been named the greatest Christian missionary, the greatest apostle, although he claimed to be the least of the apostles. He wrote 13 books of the Bible and planted at least 14 churches that we know about. Um, he went to the third heaven and received unutterable revelations. Anybody know who we're talking about? Apostle Paul, widely regarded as the most influential Christian ever, the most amazing man that has walked the earth after Jesus. I want to read to you just to take that a little bit further from um, 2 Corinthians 11, 24 to 29. Five times, this is the Apostle Paul writing, five times I've received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one, that's 30 lashes with a whip. Three, time I was, three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I've labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak and, and I do not feel weak? Who is led into sin and I do not inwardly burn? What an amazing man of God that we can look up to and aspire to. And I think... Many of us have got examples of great men and women of God that we look up to and we, we aspire to. Um, I think we very often make too much of the people we look up to. And that's one of the things I want to speak into. But recognizing possibly the greatest Christian that's ever lived, he gives us an idea of what I would like for us to have a look into. He ends this 
quote we just read by saying, who is weak and I do not feel weak. Did he feel weakness? He did feel weakness. Who is led into sin and I do not inwardly burn? He burns with temptation. He was tempted as we are. Jesus was tempted without sin. Paul was definitely tempted and did also sin as we did. It's very unhelpful to hold a divine view of Paul because he wasn't the divine. He was a human. He did inwardly burn. And although he was plagued by weakness and temptation that he speaks about in length as well, and we look at some of that, he ran fully for Jesus in all of that. He just shared with you what he did, but yet said, I'm filled with weakness and I burn with passions inside of me that I, I struggle with as well as you do. Now, interesting, that word burn, that word burn, he uses it three times in his writings. Two of those, the, the, the other time in 1 Corinthians 7, he's speaking about those who burn for their loved one sexually and then has to get married. He says, if you burn with passion, get married. That's the same word that he's using here. It's to inwardly burn, to, to have a passionate desire that he used for describing sexual want. And so he's using that same word, saying there are passions inside of me that burn and I'm tempted by them as all of you are. Yet we know this was probably not for a woman since he said that those who burn for a woman should get married. And he did not get married. But he lusted for some worldly lusts like we do. He had the same issues as we do. Stay with me. Taking this further, he, he speaks a little bit more about this in 2 Corinthians 12, 7-9. He says, therefore, in order to keep me from being conceited, because of all these revelations, all these incredible miracles, all these amazing things I've seen, to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, my power is made perfect in weakness. He had a thorn in his flesh. Now, there's lots of arguments about the, what this was, and we do not know for sure. It was most probably not a sickness, a physical illness. It was most probably something that he really struggled with. It was something also that God didn't deliver him of. It was demonic interference in his life, and God did not deliver him of it. And yet he, he, was, he was struggling with this thing and reach out to God and God said, my grace is enough for you. I know this thing is in you and I know you would feel more holy if I take it away, but I'm not going to take it away. My grace is sufficient. I'm not going to take it away. And sometimes we get deliverance fully and Paul did not. And many times in many things, we won't either because we'll never be perfect. So we'll always need something that's not yet the way it will be when we get our new body. Now, some of you are thinking, are you going to say Paul was gay? No, I'm not going to say that. Just hold on. <laughs> not going to say that. So, as I said, he burned. This could very well have been a sexual temptation, right? 
All men have it. All men have it. Very few do not. Many, most women have it. That's why we desire to find someone that we can have sexual relations with. We've got a desire that burns within us. Now, a heterosexual desire is not wrong in itself. It depends what we do with it. Because in marriage, it's holy and it's pure. Um, in, in marriage prep, we, we teach them that the orgasm is a worship cry unto God. If you understand that he made it. Sex is beautiful. Sex is holy, as you know. So, he burned with something that might have been, just follow me, I'm not saying it was, it might well have been sexual temptation because he was passionately burning about something, the same word he used in other scriptures referred to that burning, and we know that most men burn, and most women as well, I think men maybe a little bit more, I'm not exactly sure. We know this was a, a demonic temptation, Demonic temptation makes it sound worse than a natural thing. It makes it sound worse than, than an unmarried man longing for, to have sex with a woman because that's not by default demonic, is it? It can have a very beautiful, if you keep that holy, it can have a beautiful play someday. So, so having a natural sexual desire for Paul that he had to curtail because maybe he was called not to get married was not, it wouldn't be demonic. So what would this what could this have been? We do not know. But he probably did not burn with it for a woman for those reasons I just gave. One thing that I want to say and that we need to hear and that we cannot exclude as a possibility is that this was probably sexual, maybe not. And probably it could have been that it wasn't towards women. It could have been. There is no reason to believe that this could not have been a same-sex attraction, temptation, struggle. No reason. It could have been a few other things as well. We don't know. But it could have been. This is critically important for us to take note of. For our day and age, it's critically important to consider this as an option for what the mighty Apostle Paul might have been wrestling with. And I'm not making any assertion to say that it's more likely that it was that than anything else. No, I'm just saying we cannot exclude the possibility that it might have been that. Because if we want to exclude that possibility, we make a grave error and we will continue to make that error towards many around us in today's life as well. Hang with me. Many of us who've got a bit of an older brother issue or maybe stuck in a bit of dead religion might feel like you're manifesting inside right now, but that's your own demons to deal with. So I've got an important point to make regardless. The one, and, and if you feel that way, I want to say, Number one, I do believe if you feel that way, in that moment you feel that way, how can you say this This was possibly what Paul struggled with? Number one, I don't think you've got a clear view on your own depravity and you think somehow having a same-sex depraved mind would be worse than yours. So you don't have a clear view on your own. You think it's worse. And you might have an incorrect divine view of Paul. How can you say that of Paul? Well, how can you say that of any human being? You can, because that's the sinful state that we get into and we are born into. 
might have been of Paul, it might have been of anyone. I've got my issues, you've got yours, he had his. Three, you might think that people with same-sex attraction, if someone tells you, and he's a man, and he thinks, I, I, I really find other men sexually attractive, you, you might be those who would call such a man or woman gay or homosexual and therefore condemn them in your mind. And number four, you will have trouble dealing with one of the most precious groups of people in the church. Who are those? Those tormented by homosexual desire. I know quite, I know many of these that I'm talking about. Those tormented by homosexual desire, but who forsake the practice of it for the sake of Christ. While some get deliverance, some never do. Their thorn remain. And their decision to follow Christ is thus more costly and awe-inspiring than many other callings. They are not gay. They are not gay, as the world would like to say. And you, having the struggle, you are not gay. You are chosen, holy, and deeply loved. You are not condemned if you're not condemned to hell if you struggle with the same sex attraction no more than I am con a condemned adulterer condemned to hell for having lustful temptation towards women that I'm not married to. We understand the one, do we understand the other? You are condemned if you practice it, refuse to accept that it is not God's way and don't want to repent over it, then you are. But the fact that people are struggling with it and the world then comes to them and say, because you struggle with it, you're gay. And so you have to accept your identity and practice. And so if you, if you accept that, if you say, well, it's part of who I am, then you're walking away from what Christ said. The thing that inspires awe in me is that I did not have to reject my sexuality when I came to Christ. I could find a way to express it. But those who have this struggle very often do not have a way to express their sexuality in a healthy way and actually have to deny their sexuality, surrender it, crucify their sexuality as well when they come to Christ. That inspires awe because that's not required of me but it is required of them. And people who do that often have incredibly intimate dealings with the Lord and he keeps them incredibly close to his heart. So no, this is one of the most difficult things that he's calling many, many into. So, if I say that this might have been Paul's struggle, I'm not saying Paul might have been gay. Because that's something else. That's when you decide to willfully practice. It is saying chances are equal that he might have been struggling with same-sex attraction temptations than with any other unrelenting demonic torment. Because that's one of them. To have this struggle does not define your identity. 
as the world wants you to believe. The world makes it an identity thing. It says if you feel it, it's your identity. And that's the slippery slope that people go on and then you're lost. Because you have to practice your identity. But our identity, there is no heterosexual, nor homosexual, nor Jew, nor Greek, nor male, nor female, but we are in Christ. Chosen, holy, dearly loved. So, millennia of sin in us humans make us weird and weak in many different ways, and same-sex attractions is one of those things that some of us have in our DNA that comes up. And I think the church makes a mistake in that some fall to the one side where they say, well, if you've got that issue, you can't be a leader in church. If you feel that thing, I don't, I don't trust you as much. And I, I think you should, I think you, you some are more wrong than me. That's horribly wrong because it inspires awe in me when I see people choosing Christ and laying down their sexuality. And on the other side, saying, well, if you were born that way, how could God not have made you that way so you are free to practice in that way? Is the other mistake to the other side where the church is saying, it's okay. You're made that way. And that especially happens in churches, and you can see the churches that say that practicing, that practicing homosexuality is okay even in leadership. Those are the churches of who they do not require of their members a complete, full denial of self and surrender as what we should. And I believe we do and preach that he said, if you don't deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. But in some churches where that's never been the thing, you can have your life. God wants you to be happy and do nice things and do whatever you want and you're still a Christian. You're still... If that's your theology, loose, looseness, then how can you then say to the guy with the same-sex attraction, well, we're loose with all of you, but you have to make the biggest sacrifice we can imagine and sacrifice your sexuality as well. They can't say that because that would go against the way that they see Christianity play out. But we believe that we have to deny ourselves. And that might mean that me as a heterosexual man might also be caused to lay down my sexuality. I haven't been. I might have been. Paul might have been. I don't know where he was at. Heterosexual, homosexual temptations. I don't, I don't know. None as some. But that is to be, that we cannot say that, we, that God cannot ask of us to surrender everything. And I understand it's, it's, rather, it's, it's rather hectic. And for that, reason I stand in awe of people who make that choice. In our church, we will celebrate such men and women greatly as those who sacrifice more for Christ than most of us. Right, so don't go out and say, I said the Apostle Paul was as gay. I didn't say that. But I hope you followed me and saw that. And I wanted to say that. That's important to say this in Cape Town, because it feels like people are falling to this side and that side of the argument. And it's so clear to me, it's so clear to me that anyone can come to Christ with any bunch of rubbish and choose to surrender and follow him fully and be a holy, chosen and dearly beloved. 
but we cannot have our own way, even with our sexuality, if we do come to Him. Whatever the Apostle Paul's thing was, Romans 7, 15 to 19, and now we're not speaking about same-sex attraction anymore. We're speaking about the Apostle Paul and whatever he was struggling with. He writes and says, now remember this is the greatest man who've ever lived, some say, after Jesus. And if you read what he did, it's astonishing. It is astonishing. No greater church leader has been around. Okay, so you look up to some church leaders and think, wow, what a man, what a woman. I must be like that. I must pray like that. I must. There's no man that's not like the Apostle Paul and me and you who says, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. I want to read my Bible every day, but I don't do it. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it's no longer my, I myself who do it, but it's the sin that's in me. We'll explain that shortly. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me. That is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing, said the greatest Christian that's ever lived. Can you relate? Can anybody relate? Hallelujah. I relate fully. And the Apostle Paul, you, you need to realize, he's, he's about 50 years old when he's writing this. He's not a newbie Christian. He died at 60, he wrote this at, a, at about 50. This is the greatest exposition. This is the greatest letter, I believe, ever written, the letter of Romans, understanding the gospel of Jesus Christ in the most amazing way. He planted all those churches, did all those things. And to the end, a 50-year-old man, the greatest Christian who've ever lived, I believe, at the end of his third missionary journey, he writes this. I think it's liberating. A mature believer. We continue reading. We say, so, so I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin working within me. What a wretched man that I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? This law, he says, I, I find there's a law. The law of two natures. There's a law of two natures that he's speaking about. That is in every true believer. Your new nature, you've been made new when you came to Christ. The old man had one nature, a sinful one, a fleshly one. The new man has got a new nature in that his spirit has been made new. And now for the first time, 
and only with the genuine believer, there is a war. Do you experience that war? God, I want to be holy. I desire to see people saved. I desire to pray like Stefani. Stefani would say, oh, if you know how much I fall short, you wouldn't. That's what she would say. I still would like to pray like Stefani. But there's that law. And Charles Spurgeon agrees with me that this is a primary sign of whether you've been born again or not. Do you know that war? inside of you? Do you know that desire for good and holy and Christ-likeness and your, your inability to be that? Are you aware of that? How strong does it burn in you? That's a sign of a believer. Because there is a war. <laughs> Waging war. The greatest war in the issue of mankind is this war where evilest of evil and the holiest of holy wage war inside of you. What a wretched man that I am. Now this kind of a thing can make, psychologically speaking, can make a man and woman despondent like nothing else. What I want to be, I can never be. I never make it. Because God has set this bar of holiness and I've never even come close to attaining what I want to attain. And every time I try, I slip and I fall on my face. And I try and I slip and I fall on my face. And yeah, I overcome certain things. And yeah, I take a few strides. But then when I see Jesus, I realize I move five inches and he is three miles away. And you can be despondent. In that despondency, it's important to recognize what the Apostle Paul is recognizing here. He's saying, I cannot, I, I cannot, number one, I cannot give up on this wall. Because that's my responsibility. Number two, I must recognize my inability in this. Not forsaking either responsibility or my inability. Some says, I'm not able, so let go and let God, as the Bible never said. <laughs> let go and let God. I'm, in, I'm unable, so I'm going to continue and see what he does. No. On the, on the other hand, I'm responsible, so I will try again, and hopefully God will then accept me in. Falling to the one or to the other side, no. But you cannot let go of either one, because it is your responsibility, according to the word of God, and you must accept the fact that you're unable. And then the sinner looks up and says, I understand, Jesus, why you had, you had to come. You had to come. Because I can never be holy. Thanks be to God who delivers me through Christ Jesus, our Lord. So like I said, no, let go and let God attitude. That wasn't the Apostle Paul. If you say the Apostle Paul's attitude, if you think of him and say his attitude was probably let, let go and let God. No, it wasn't. 
I don't even particularly like songs that we sang this last one that says, no longer striving. Some of you know this. No longer striving. We've made striving a bad word. Read your Bible. Every time the word striving is used, it's a good word. It's the apostle Paul saying, we have to strive to perfection. We have to make every effort. But it's if we want to do it on our own that we say, oh, I can't, I, my, my striving becomes too much. But you have to strive and realize that you're, 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 you're unable because if you don't strive towards holiness, then it means that you don't really want holiness. And then how can you look to God and say, God, make me holy, if you don't really want it in the first place? That's why striving is necessary. But then there's this moment we look up to God like Paul and say, well, thanks be to God through Christ Jesus who saved me. But don't drop your responsibility or get despondent in your inability. I think Paul's attitude was more, let's go and thanks be to God. That would be, that, that would be better. Some of you need to stop disqualifying yourself and just start running. Because you'll never be good enough. Before I get married, I first want to. It's rubbish. You'll be seven times the demon you're now, five years into your marriage. <laughs> so stop that. <laughs> so there's this groaning inside every believer. And this groaning is good. This groaning is a sign that you're a mature believer. And if you don't have it, ach, not that you're a mature believer, that you are just a genuine believer. And if you don't have the groaning, maybe you're not a believer. And please come to me so we can pray. So you can give your life to God, so you can come and make you new, so that there can be a war inside of your soul until that day. When your desire to be holy will be fully met. But this, this groaning we have right now, Romans 8, 23, 24, says, not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruit of the Spirit, we, we have tasted the Holy Spirit. We have seen Him working in us and through us. We can't deny the fact that there's, a, there's been activity from God in me and through me. We who have that, who know that He saved me and He's working in me and I can attest to it because I have the first fruit of the Holy Spirit. We groan inwardly. As we eagerly await our adoption, our sons, there's something that we wait for. The already but not yet kingdom. The kingdom that Jesus already won, but then he wants us to be active participants in the war that he won. So, because he loves our partnership. But at the end of the day, if you continue, you will be victorious. And bit by bit on earth, God gives us little gifts of deliverance and freedom and overcome. Coming, and we do bit by bit see the victory. It's not that we will never see any victory. We'll see a lot of victory. But full victory in every victory will only be on that day when his victory is realized in all of us. For adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Because our spirits have been made whole and it's they, they are warring. The inner man is warring with the flesh. Flesh is the problem. You will have your flesh, but you are not your flesh. You are spirit. Therefore, the Apostle Paul is saying, it's no longer I who do it, but sin that's within me. 
I now have a body that is contaminated. But I am a new creation, that, and there is no condemnation for me. So my name, Marga, is written in the spirit, not on my flesh. So I am not the things I struggle with. I am who God says I am, chosen, holy, and dearly loved. Perfect, forever perfected by the blood of the Lamb, yet now having to work out that salvation in this body that I have, that I, don't, I, I am not it. But our full redemption will be one day when we have a new body, when the old tainted flesh is gone. That's what we're waiting for, so that the sick thing I can be delivered of. For in this hope, we were saved. We're, we're await, awaiting this final victory. We know that it is coming, and our spirits are groaning, and you should groan, and you should war, and you should take responsibility for your holiness, and then cry out to God because you're unable, and then see the victory of God coming through you bit by bit by bit, and then groan again because the more you become holy, the more your, eye, your eyes open to how unholy you are. At first, I thought I should just somehow find a way of not smoking anymore and not drinking anymore and not swearing anymore. That was my pursuit of holiness. But then when you don't swear and drink and smoke that much anymore, your eyes open to your pride. And I, I remember there was a girl at university that um, we forged a great friendship. She was way ahead of me in the Lord. And we spoke one day about the things we struggle with. And I said, I still get drunk every now and again. I really don't want to do that anymore. And... You know, I don't, I don't sleep with the girls like my friends do, but I mean, I still have a real issue with the girls. And I said, what's your, what, what's your problem? She said, oh, it's, it's, it's pride, arrogance. I remember laughing at her. I couldn't for the life of me imagine how that could be a sin. I was like, what? Do you call a sin? But then when we get over simple fleshly struggles and we get into stuff and we see Christ and we see ourselves, we fall to our face and say, God, I'm a hundred miles further than what I ever thought. And that is every time I get a little bit closer, it's still a little bit further. I'm not going to stop because I know one day in an instant you're going to make up the million miles that's left. I'm going to stay on this road. I'm going to stay on this road of holiness and I will let go of anything that will keep me from it. So keep your groaning real believer. And if you don't have a groaning, I'd love to pray with you. After Romans 7 comes Romans 8. After Romans 7 comes Romans 8. And right after Paul just declared his woeful state, his dreadful state, he continues in verse 1 and says, There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And you know what? Some, some terrible translators added because they couldn't accept this because they were so full of dead religion. Some translation, it's, it's an italic said, they, they added to that and said there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus for those who walk according to the spirit but not according to the flesh. 
It says there is no condemnation if you walk according to the Spirit. But the Apostle Paul in the previous verse said, I, I cannot walk according to the Spirit even though I want. And heck, I think he did it right more, much more than what I've ever done. He just said it. And then some, some dead religious people would add things like that in to bring the condemnation right back. Are you walking according to the Spirit or according to the flesh? Oh, well, then the, no condemnation means absolutely nothing. Then for what did Christ die but for something miraculous that's so great that even the angels long to look into it and understand how did he do it? There is therefore now no condemnation. We are in the struggle. Remember the great man with the great struggle who cannot do what he wants, but he evil things he don't want to do, he does them. He writes the very next chapter, there is no condemnation for you. There is no eternal damnation awaiting you if you have this groaning like I have and a calling out to Christ. He even then calls us co-heirs with Christ. More than just no condemnation, I'm okay, I'm allowed in. No, more than that. You're a co-heir. What does a co-heir mean? It means you're an heir with the firstborn who is Jesus. You're not an heir under him. You don't, we don't have secondborn heirship. We've got firstborn co-heir with Christ. How is that possible to someone who continues to do the evil that they don't want to do? That is Jesus. He calls us more than conquerors. The one who just said, I can't do the things I want to do and the things I don't want to do. He doesn't say, well, maybe one day I will be a little bit of a conqueror. Maybe one day I will conquer a few things. He says, no, in the spirit and in the light of what Jesus has done for us, we are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. That's Romans 8. That's the promise of the gospel to a man that takes full responsibility, that recognizes his inability and realizes that Jesus Christ is the only solution to that conundrum and then goes into praise mode and into an incredible place where he ends off and says there can be no separation between us and God, the love of God. No separation. No condemnation. No separation. Go as with Christ and more than conquerors. How amazing is our God and how great is his salvation. the worship team can come to the front I would just really love to worship him me and Jacques and small group leaders will be ready to pray for anyone just over there while we are worshipping yeah dear you can switch off the lights we'll, we'll be right there we'd love to pray with you while you're worshipping If there's anything from today's message you'd really like to pray through with someone, then please come. If you realize today that you don't know this groaning, you don't know this groaning, this deep groaning for holiness, you realize that you might not be born again Please come to the front if you feel that it's what the Holy Spirit is drawing you to. I would love to pray with you.
if you are despondent in your struggle with sin and just want to confess and pray with someone, you can do that too because we can get so uptight with this enemy of ours that we lose track of the grace of Jesus and then we become despondent. If you're despondent and you feel disqualified and you've taken that lie, come that we pray with you. And if you thought your struggle disqualifies you from running fully from God, if you feel I must first overcome this, then I will do that. I'll wait until I, then I will. We'd love to pray with you. Let us worship the King of kings and the Lord of lords for his great grace. You can all stand with us. We're going to put our eyes on him. Um, if, you, if you're not responding to anything right now, that's perfectly fine. But there is great reason to lift up the name of Jesus who redeems us with his great grace.